Why are you here? I'm looking for a great warrior. So what kind of warrior have you been? The way of the warrior. He needed a warrior's mind. Clearly this was all planned by warriors of warriors. Now is the time. Hi, this is Cornell Reese. You're listening to the Warrior of Impact podcast. I'm a warrior of entrepreneurship and mentoring. All right, and thank you for listening to the Warrior of Impact podcast. This is Michael, as always, with Shannon. And today we have a uh, special guest with us. We have our friend, our new friend, Cornell Reese. Uh, Cornell is uh, from the Southeast Washington, D.C. area. Uh, he is uh, a business mentor or made it in business through mentorship uh, and has decided that he... Uh, wanted to give back to others through that process of mentorship, and he's built a life around that. And so we're excited to speak with him today, learn a little bit about more of what he does in giving back to the community, what he does in his business and profession. And um, it's just always great to talk with people who are like-minded individuals that understand that delivering impact is our real one and only purpose in life. How we get there and the path that we get there is what makes us unique. So welcome to our show, Cornell. Uh, Thank you. Go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit so we can get to know you some more. How you doing? I'm Cornell Reese, um, born and raised in Southeast Washington, D.C., uh, which I guess if you watch the news, uh, was a pretty rough area. Uh, to me, it's gotten worse uh, since I've grown up there. Uh, we had a little more, uh, I guess I would say, grandparents and mentors in the neighborhood when I came up to kind of keep you in line, although you did have a lot of distractions that I see are still there. So uh, I was one of the lucky ones that made it out and uh, made something of myself. So I graduated from George Washington University and I have taken some classes, uh, not actual program classes at Harvard uh, University, uh, entrepreneurship and emerging economies, um, uh, things like that, uh, to keep my, uh, my business edge going. And I've started my own watch line. So that is how I uh, give back to let um, some disadvantaged youth know, especially from that area. You can make it, uh, you know, they, they do need a mentor and to me, they need to listen because that's the first part of learning. So I kind of sh- stress that first, you, you know, you have to be a good listener in order to learn. And before you can lead, you have to learn how to follow first, first and foremost. Absolutely. I think uh, that is one of the things that we talk about a lot uh, on this podcast too. And, and, and talk about from a, a coaching perspective is the, the value and importance of walking the walk. You know, it's uh and it's something that unfortunately I see a lot of nowadays um, people tap on like the sticker of entrepreneur or business owner, or, you know, you, you go and you spend forty nine ninety nine and you get a thousand business cards made and you put CEO on it and you're a big shot all of a sudden. Right. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we live in a time where we don't even have wolves in sheep clothing anymore. We have chicken in sheep clothing. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it's unfortunate yeah. because it's a lot of people trying to placate to something that so many of us take, uh, you know, this is our livelihood, right? That we, we are mm-hmm. out here, you know, and, and I grew up, uh, I'm, I'm from New York city. Um, mm-hmm. so I truly came up in the hustle mindset and there is something to be said about people that make it on the other side of that, you know? And, and I think it's mm-hmm. something that I am completely appreciative of the fact that like, I had the right mentors that guided me, you know, uh, I grew up 
scrapping and, and you know, I, w- I was small. So, you know, already <laughs> where I'm going with that, right? You had to either learn how to fight yeah. or talk your way out of a situation. Exactly. Um, and, and and what that did for me was it made me realize, all right, well, this physical labor thing ain't going to be for you. <laughs> so you got to figure out how to make that mind work. Um, and so over time, I wound up leaning towards the people that I saw that already made it. You know, I'm a big proponent <laughs> of believing that we need to surround ourselves with people that are going to where we want to be or are already where we want to be. And I think that that's one of the key components of mentorship is, you know, when you find something that you love, it's not about giving away the secret recipe, right? It's about bringing other people up to where you are. And there's so much value there because when you really make it or when you're on your way to pursuit, uh, you recognize really quickly that there's a lot of room at the top and, and it, and it gets lonely at the top too. So you want to bring people up with you. Um, But I think that that notion of the people that are going to guide you in the wrong direction. Like I said, the chicken and sheep clothing that we've kind of seen in society now, uh, almost does a lot more damage than the wolves. And uh, it does. And, and I think that it's so easy to create this false facade of what success can be that it's so important for us to have people like you uh, and like a lot of the people that we talk to that are really demonstrating. And I think that's the key, right? It's demonstrating. Uh, social media has done us a big you know, injustice. Uh, it's really, you know, when you have yes. people that go out and spend $10,000 of hardware money to go rent a Lamborghini for an hour to make a video to try to get $20,000 in sales, you know, great marketing tactic on one hand, but it does such a disservice to the people who are really out there grinding, trying to do it. And so we fall into these traps of, you know, we live in a very get rich scheme mentality mindset society now you know every mm-hmm. opportunity is the next opportunity and it's so hard to uh to see honest business from the next scheme mike and i talk a lot about doing the work and i think that you have a lot of people on especially instagram tiktok who portray themselves to be you know like mike said these upper level business people and it's really not there. They haven't done the work. And then someone else comes along and sees their success and they think, why can't I replicate that? And it's because there is no easy path. You've got to do the work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can't cheat the process. No, nope. yeah. I oftentimes say the the only shortcut is doing it right the first time. Cornell, how did you how did you decide to go into watchmaking? That is so interesting. Uh, I've been collecting watches for the longest time. And in 2010, about 2011, I was like, oh, let me see if I can turn this into a business and not knowing the first thing about watchmaking. So for two years, I threw myself into learning about watches are reading five watch magazines a month but then i learned i still didn't know enough because i didn't understand the manufacturing part yeah i knew what a watch looked like i know oh it looks nice but i didn't understand the uh, manufacturing and the lead times you have to understand that and you know some of the language that they use like mlq i was like uh what is mlq that's minimum order quantity (laughs) you know you have to (laughs) So it was things like that. And once I uh, went through those pitfalls of uh, that learning process, and then in 2012, I said, okay, let me come up with a name and start uh, my watch line. So I took 
maybe a year or two just pushing it, not really selling any watches uh, because that's a, a hard sell to me nowadays because people can look at the phone and get the time. So, you know, you have to connect it, at least I believe so, to some type of movement. Uh, and so I've always been a mentor. So I kind of tied it to that, that, you know, if you buy a watch, you're not just, I'm not just taking I'll show you that I'm giving back because I'll go speak at schools and a lot of times just to see if they're paying attention. I'll have a giveaway watch at the end and ask a question to see if anyone paid attention to what I was talking about. And, and it goes over well. I don't tell them up front. You know, I, let, I don't come in and say, oh, I'm going to give you a watch away because then everybody will pay attention. I kind of wait until about five minutes left and say, hey, I have a giveaway, but I'm going to see who paid attention. And I'm going to ask a few questions and, and see who gets them right. So it, it goes over well. That must be really fulfilling to know that you're reaching out and you're helping people. Do you speak only in the community that you grew up in or all over? Uh, I've spoken over is just I have a connection to uh, educators that I went to actual school with and they are principals now. So they tend to bring me in because they kind of have the same mindset. they want to go in these schools that don't have many resources and want to bring people in. But I have spoken outside of the areas. Uh, COVID kind of hurt that uh, <laughs> the last two years. But yeah, I do. And I like to speak, you know, not just with inner city. I like to speak with uh, kids who have actual resources just to show, you know, so that they can, I guess, be balanced. Hey, someone can make it too. Even if you have resources, that don't mean, you know, you don't have some issues that you're dealing with. There still may be some gaps and you want to talk to people. So let me ask you, um, and I think this is kind of a two-part question, but growing up in that area, because I think we, we grew up in, in kind of similar environments in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know where I grew up was uh, there was a lot of gang violence. There was a lot of, um, you know, I'd look out my window and, you know, and and we were in a a decent area of Queens, New York, but still, you know, gang violence, drugs, those things were kind of the mm-hmm. norm to the point where you get desensitized to it because it's just kind of like what you see, but it, it makes a very big impact on the community around you. So just kind of like, what are some of the things that you encountered growing up that kind of shaped you one way or the other? Because I know you said that you had your share of mentors that kind of steered you clear, mm-hmm. um, but kind of give us an example or, or maybe tell us a little bit about what your upbringing was. So we kind of get an understanding of what brought you to uh, where you are now. Uh, my upbringing, uh, like I said, I grew up in Southeast DC and it was a tough area, but I, I consider myself one of the lucky ones who had, uh, you know, my dad in the house and he had four brothers and my grandfather and they were pretty no nonsense. So I was more afraid of them than I was of anybody in the street. So I didn't get into any trouble, you know, just, you know, being mischievous, but not no major trouble. But I did see friends of mine who didn't have that in the house. And like you say, you get desensitized and then they start to rationalize, hey, I see these guys standing around on these corners making this money. I want to do it too. Not thinking about the ramifications that come with it, you know, destroying your neighborhood or you may end up getting killed or doing this crazy stuff. So I had that to keep me away. And then I was in the Boy Scouts. uh, So I was always around positive uh, male mentors that kind of 
kept my idle hands from being the devil's workshop. So I was kept busy. Uh, it was Pop Warner football. And, you know, at home, you didn't have, we didn't have to deal with gangs, but we had to deal with those, you know, different neighborhoods. Hey, you're not from this neighborhood or you're not from over here. So if you come over here to a party, you know, maybe a fight. Um, Fighting wasn't too bad, but then later, around about 1986, before I got out of high school, that's when the killing really started. And I was like, okay, yeah, I got friends carrying guns. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be around you because, you know, a few of them, they're not here because, you know, they live by that sword and they died by it. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a, uh, it's a harsh truth too. It's a harsh reality. <laughs> Uh, and it's unfortunate, uh, and that area, which is so sad because it's, it's right outside, like DC is one of those areas that has uh, potential for such beauty, you know, such history, mm -hmm. such majesty. Um, and, and it's the same with like anywhere you look that like violence spills over into that city. It's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, which is why I think it's, it's great that you attach yourself to the youth. You know, I think it's uh, it's it's noble to to try to serve our community as it is, but to try to capture the minds and uh, and be a voice of reason for for the youth, I think is is vital. Um, there's actually a, a young man that we uh, have worked with in the past, um, Ronald Scott. Uh, he runs an organization out of New Orleans called Brothers at Peace, uh, and they have a very systematic approach to to doing the same thing uh if it's something you're interested in i'd love to connect you guys because i think that there's a lot of <laughs> you know synergy there they they work out of houston new orleans and atlanta i think those are the three areas that they work out of but it's the same kind of approach of you know mm -hmm. capturing these minds at a middle school age working with them at youth and their focus is actually helping these kids get into secondary education through uh mentorship um and so what is your involvement beyond speaking um, at schools um, with with the youth? Are you uh, do you, do you do any work one on one, or is it more um, just creating this platform of of education from making it real to them? I I was doing a um, working with a young lady, but I think she was defrauding the local government. So I had to distance myself where she was, she had some kind of work with young, uh, young people who got in trouble, but didn't really have to do jail time, but they had probation. So these would be one-on-one. -on -one. I would pick, pick one of the young men and we would hang out one day a week and, you know, try to change the mindset uh, slowly, but surely show them how I operate and then give them a test, um, to see if they could, uh, you know, kind of follow suit. And one of the tests was, hey, when you go to take care of some business, just put a suit and shirt on and see how differently you're treated than rather if you go in with the pants sagging off, you know, and, you know, acting like you don't have any sense and just see how you may get things done, but it may take you a little longer. But if you go in with a suit and tie on, even if you don't know anything, but just act like you got some sense or just be quiet people tend to treat you a little different. So uh, that, that worked well. But then once I found out about the fraud, I had to distance myself from that because I didn't want that uh, stigma on anything. They said, oh, you were in on it. No, because I wasn't being paid. So I'm like, no, I'm not in on this. Uh, there's no motivation there for me yeah. you know, to, to say uh, fiscally that I was doing anything wrong. Yeah, That's, That's one of those chickens that Mike was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I will say from listening to you, um, I think that you 
especially your life and how you have overcome obstacles, it's so important to have a family support network, but also Mm -hmm. a support network as far as someone who will show you the way. And I think that unfortunately for a lot of children in all different types of economic um, categories, that 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 really is lacking. Um, I see that a lot that even in a, a different economic class, they still don't have that support network. And I don't know if it's social media. I don't know if it's um, our, the current way we live, how, how life is now. But I definitely think having that support person in your life, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a teacher, whether it's an older generation like grandparents, great grandparents is so important mm-hmm. for kids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, and and I, I guess I'm trying to get an understanding like from from the perspective of like, what is your like, what's your main message that you try to have uh, when, when you go to speak with uh, middle school, high school? Like, what is what would you say is your your main message that you want to try to drive across? My main message is you can do anything you want to do if you're motivated. If you're not motivated and you're not going to do anything. And sometimes I trick, it's a trick. It was used on me in high school and I tricked some of the middle schoolers. I'll pull out a $20 bill. I don't say anything. I'll just sit it on, on a table and I'll say, hey, first person that finds this word, what it means, I'm not going to tell you how to spell it. Just let me know what it means. They automatically think that they're going to get the money because they're not really listening to me. So someone finds a word, go reach for the money. I said, I didn't say I was giving you the money, but you pulled the money out. I said, no, because you thought I was going to give you the money. You've motivated yourself. So you can do what you want to do if you're motivated. I said, but if you're not motivated, you're just going to sit there and do nothing. So whatever it is you want to do in life, find out what it is and and let it motivate you. you. And for me, I always wanted to wear a college ring. I had a, a neighbor and he was a college graduate and I saw his ring. And I always wanted to wear one. So I took a picture and I just kept it up in my bedroom. Say one day I'm going to be able to wear one. And I don't wear it to this day now, but I did at first. When I first finished college, I wore it every day proudly, you know, because that was, that was the way it motivated me to finish. Yeah. And yeah. you earned it, right? When you earn yes. something, there's there's so much weight behind that, so much pride. And so when yeah, you it wasn't set yourself easy. a goal, <laughs> no, it's not. When you set yourself a goal and and you succeed at that goal. It's a great feeling. Yes, it was. Yeah. And I think um, social media has uh, a lot of these, uh, especially young kids fooled today about, Oh, I can, I can do this and I can get it overnight. And it's easy. And I'm like, no, no, if you get it that easy, it ain't, it ain't worth it. You're not even going to value it because it came too fast. Yeah. I actually have talked about this in the past. Um, there's a reason why, people who win the lotteries go broke, mm-hmm. you know, part of the process of, you know, becoming financially successful, financially stable, financially secure, you know, that's the process, right? You learn the mm-hmm. value of money uh, on your way to becoming rich, wealthy, successful. If it's given to you, you don't have that time of learning how to become successful to break habits that are keeping you from, from being successful. So if you win the lottery, you know, hundred million dollars is great, but you're still going to have broke mentality and broke mentality with money just means you go broke quicker with more money to exactly. get broke with, you know, it's <laughs> exactly. the same kind of thing. So, um, 
you know, and and, it's, and I think we're we're kind of talking about a lot of the same things. It's it's doing the work. It's making sure that you know there's a process to things, and, and life could be as quick or as short as you want it to be. You know, there's mm -hmm. there, there, on one hand, there's a lot of time to learn a lot, but you can waste it. And when you wa it's only quick when you waste it. Yes. Yes. So, uh, so I'm curious, what motivates you? What what keeps you going now? Uh, what keeps me going now is I want to. Well, once I'm done and they put me in the ground, I want it to be said he gave more than he took. So that that's my thing. I, I just believe you have to you have to give. You can't take all the time because if you do, that throws things out of balance. And I think nowadays a lot of people just take and don't want to give. So I, I try to do my part to try to keep the balance and um, just try to help this this generation, especially you know African American male men. Uh, try to give them some purpose because if I can save one uh, from going to jail or hitting somebody over the head, trying to rob somebody instead of, uh, you know, trying to do the right thing. So that that's basically my purpose to try to keep first men that look like myself and then other young men who are impressionable. You know, you see these athletes or they, they, they idolize these athletes who then turn around on social media and act uh, excuse my French acting ass and you know they think oh that's cool I can do that and, and it's not right. so I try to counterbalance a lot of the um, nonsense that's going on out here uh, via social media <laughs> yeah I heard this quote the other day or I guess quote might not be the best way to put it but he, they said uh why do we idolize athletes and and rock stars and all of these people and and the answer was simple it's um as a child we idolize them because they followed their dreams you know, I saw like, that, that. That is true. Yeah. You know, like, like, uh, you know, obviously, yes, there's there, you know, on the bigger scheme of things, as we get older, we idolize them because of the money, the, the mm -hmm. models, the, the, the fast cars, the big houses and stuff. But as a child, subconsciously, we're attracted to that because they're people that follow their dreams. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that to me is more empowering to other people than anything. Um, I'm somebody who I, I feel like in a lot of ways I'm an anomaly because I never stop dreaming, you know, but I like to think about it like this to people like uh, and really in a way I never stopped dreaming. But at the same time, I put it on the shelf for a little bit and, and I had this uh, this challenge the other day of like, how much did they pay you to stop dreaming the first time? You know, you think about like, you know, how, you know, like and for me, it was, you know, thirty eight thousand dollars. I got a job making thirty eight thousand dollars and I was like, oh, this is it. You know, like I'm working for somebody for $38,000 a year. Woo. I could put that dream on the back burner. And and like, even though I still dreamed, I, I, I quieted that dream for long enough for $38,000. Like, mm -hmm. but that's the problem is there, there's, you know, we're not fanning the flames of the dream that is practical because it doesn't make sense for somebody that comes from communities like we come from to go be a lawyer, doctor, or, you know, a politician that can actually you. make change, right? So what we do is mm -hmm. we relegate and we say, oh, well, let's idolize, you know, you know, if you don't have a mic in your hand, a, a basketball in your hand, a glove in your hand, whatever, uh, well, then you're, you're, you're second class to the next best thing. We'll just go be a teacher or go do this <laughs> and stuff. Well, I would rather put being teacher on a platform and a pedestal. That's the like, most important job to me. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. for some reason, those, you know, that kind of approach is, is kind of succumb to the mentality of, 
you know, if your dream is to, to, to mold the minds of others, then don't give that up. And if you're happy making, you know, you know, the problem is we, we, we correlate finance with happiness way too much. And it, mm-hmm. and it leaves us in this place of, uh, of default. Like we feel like we left something on the table because we're not making the money of this or that. And that, that's the, that's the influence that, that surrounds us. But, uh, I'm going we, off on we a- equate, we equate money with success yeah. and we forget that there are other aspects of success, such as happiness, such as quality of life. And we think that when you make the money, then you're, we talked about this last week, we'll be happy when we'll be happy when this, uh, this amount of money is in your bank account. And we forget all the other things in life that make you successful and make you happy. So mm-hmm. And I wanted to point out, we were talking about teachers. For a lot of people, when you start saying who was influential in your life, number one comes from most people other than their family is a teacher. Always, always an educator. Always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're the natural like line of defense when it comes to mentorship, you know, for sure. Because for, for the majority of your childhood, you know, you're at home. And and with your your teachers, your your peers mm-hmm. in that sense. So it makes sense to to mold and shape from that perspective. Um, so I think that that's you know that's really important that we acknowledge that too. Is that you know you are really in a lot of ways supporting educators. You know, mm-hmm. so, so you are you are saying, hey, look, you listen to these people, you know, because they're they're helping you on the right track. They brought me in to talk to you. But they're here when I'm not here. They're the right. people that are, are really shaping and molding, which I think is uh, it, it's something to focus on. It's something to at least bring to, to mind for sure. And your your core um, your your core piece of advice is listen, right? You tell people to listen. Listen. That's the first part of learning. You, if you can't listen, you're not going to learn anything. And and to have some discipline to to master anything, you have to have some discipline. That's right. If you don't, you know, waste your time. Yeah. And I think that, you know, looking at like watchmaking, for example, uh, you know, there there is a very long history of watchmaking. And, and I'm sure like during your process, you probably were overwhelmed and you probably had like option overload with the amount of options that oh. you had to go into. Oh, my goodness. Because uh, you're talking yes. about math and science and philosophy and all these different things correlated and something that we take for granted that just gives us, you know, like you said, you know, I look at my phone and the, but I'm a watch guy. I like watches because mm. I think that it 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 signifies a. um I'm an old soul in a lot of ways. I like that 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 approach to, you know, the 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 manual labor, the the way that we look at things of creating ourselves, and and I think that you know having something that's analog like that that you know mm-hmm. that allows us to be a part of the process. It's you know it's deciphering and things like that. There's something that does something to you in that process. So I think it's you know it's really beautiful. interesting. It's beautiful because it's not digital. Right, exactly. Yes, and I, I prefer analog because, you know, nowadays, if you put some of these kids in front of an analog clock, they can't tell time because they're too busy looking at digital clocks. 
they can put them. Hey, what time is it? Ah, uh, they looking at them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's nine forty-five, but you can't tell the time. <laughs> My daughter always gets. I have a seventeen-year-old, and she always gets aggravated with me because she'll say, "What time is it, mom?" And I'll say, "Quarter till." And she's like, "Can you just tell me in real numbers?" <laughs> Yeah, my daughter does the same. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess for us that's a that's kind of an old expression because we looked at mm-hmm. a clock, right? Quarter till. Right. And uh then of course when she was younger, she was like a quarter is 25, but you say a quarter is 15. And of course it's like time is different than money. Well, time yes. is money, but you know, it's different than money. Yeah. But right. um, yeah, it's just so funny to see them how they equate time to their cell phone. And so they, they forget those kind of little quirks like, Oh, it's 10 till or half past. And they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. They don't know anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very interesting approach to it. So I think uh, what we're in a good spot now is to transition into our hot seat questions. Um, these are the questions that we ask all of our guests and it's all about, like I said, determining what makes a warrior a warrior. So our first question, how do you define what it means to be a warrior? Uh, I would define it having, you know, to, if you get knocked down, you get back up, you get knocked down again, you get back up, but you just keep going. You just don't sit there and, uh, waddle in a pool of self-pity, a warrior. Uh, keeps going. They keep fighting and they keep going because you're going to get knocked down, you know, but you have to get back up and, you know, just move one step at a time. As long as you're moving one step at a time, you're making progress. You don't have to, you know, jump 10 steps, just make one step each day and keep moving. That's, that's my idea of a warrior who, you know, this person, yeah, we we can knock them down, but they're they're coming back. So you're going to have to be ready because they're going to get up and they're going to come back and they're going to come back stronger each and every time. So it's almost like a nightmare to some people like, oh, what do I have to do to get rid of this person? (laughs) Because they have a a warrior mentality. You just won't. You just have to, you know, let me just deal with it. I don't know what I can tolerate. (laughs) Yeah. So I, uh, I've talked about this in the past and obviously you don't know a lot about us, but uh, uh, I I turned to boxing uh, Mm -hmm. years back. I've been boxing probably about eight years uh, because it does something for you, the mental state. It's just a really good, uh, I, it's one of my favorite, you know, individual sports. Uh, but you know, there's this old, uh, you know, Chinese proverb, you know, it's get knocked down seven times, get up eight. You know, it's that same mentality. It's, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to keep me down. You might get me down for the short term, but I'm coming back. And, uh, and I love that. I think that that's, uh, you know, there, there's going to be setbacks, but I'm always coming back. Mike and I have talked about also taking things one step at a time. And so if you get knocked mm-hmm. down and you get back up and you only make one step forward, that's, that's still progress. That's still being yes. a warrior. That's right. That's right. Yes. And you can't judge your, you can't judge your progress without any struggle. So if you don't have any struggle, you can't judge any progress. So you, ha- you have to struggle something to, to judge your progress and know where you need to make changes. Just right, like right. we said earlier, if you didn't earn it, it doesn't, if you didn't go through the process to earn it, which yeah. o- often is a struggle, then it doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. to you. Cause it can't, like exactly. you said, it came too quite, it came too quick. It came too easy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so um, how have you demonstrated that definition in your own life? Uh, let's see. How have I demonstrated it? I have, 
um, 10 years ago, I had two job layoffs in a three year period that pretty much ruined me uh, financially because they were extended period of time, seven months, 10 months and, you know, no unemployment, everything's ran out, you know, all your savings gone. And I'm like, wow, this is tough. So, you know, I would have those days just to be honest, Hey, two, three days and I wouldn't come out the house. And then after that, I had to just, you know, snap out of it. And I got into a, uh, a process where I would get up every morning, like I was going to work, I would go somewhere like a McDonald's and sit, use Wi-Fi to keep my mind from sitting and, uh, just worrying about things that I had no control over. And after a while, no opportunity came through, but during that time, that was the time that I had to develop my watch business and, Hey, really start to push it. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. That's how I look at it. But uh, at that time it it was tough. (laughs) Is it, It isn't that funny though, when we look back and we're like, when we thought that it was the end, it was really the start of a new beginning. And so we get so upset when things end. Right. And like Mm -hmm. you said, it's, it's okay. Like I've said before, feel your feelings when something goes wrong. It's okay to say, Oh shit. What am I going to do now? And to, and to sit in it for a little while to say, I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I feel like everything around me is collapsing. It's okay to feel that. And it's okay to sit in that. But then eventually, like you said, you have to find the strength to get over that. And whatever Mm -hmm. that is for you, I I think that that is a great piece of advice. Get up every day, make your bed, put on your clothes. Even if you know there's no job to go to, pretend like there is. And Mm -hmm. eventually, if you're in that mindset, it's going to happen. You're going to make that come true. And it came through. (laughs) (laughs) And if if you're open, if you're open to something new, like for you, that's when you started your watchmate, the process of starting your watchmaking business. It wasn't the end, it was the beginning for you. And so you life, life a lot of times will remove things so that it can replace it with something better. And how uh what what is one piece of advice that you would give to somebody else? to help them live into that definition? Uh, You know, I have a a, a saying that was told to me when I was younger. Uh, Whatever you do, all you do, do with your might. Things done in half are never done right. So whatever you decide to do, do it all the way. Don't don't half-ass it because, you know, it will show uh, if you half-ass, you run across somebody who doesn't do things half-ass and they'll look at you and they can tell just from, you know, maybe five or 10 minutes, like, no, no, I'm not going to deal with you. Cause you, I can tell you half-ass do everything. Uh, so that's what I try to tell people, whatever you do, you know, put yourself into it, you know, all the way into it. You know, if you don't believe in it, why should somebody else, you know, right. <laughs> that's just how I look at things. Yeah, absolutely. We often say that the most important part of any process that you do is yourself. So mm-hmm. when you put yourself into something, usually there's a good outcome. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that we like to do at the when we are talking with people uh, towards the end of our time with them is give them a space to just kind of talk about things that they that are important to them. Um, you know, I think it's easy when we prepare for a podcast or to be interviewed. Uh, to think about things that we want to talk about that they don't always naturally come up. So we like to save some space at the end 
to always leave that for, you know, you to talk about things that you might want to talk about today that we didn't get to talk about. So if there's some things that you want to, you know, and we'll, we'll be able to get into, you know, doing some promotion on you and Mm -hmm. talking about that stuff. But, you know, some of the things that kind of like fit towards your message that you didn't get to talk about, want to leave some space for you to, uh, to mention that now. So if there's anything Uh, that. It's a lot of division and hate uh, going on. That's that's something that just, uh, you know, really chaps my ass to lack of uh, better expression, but uh, just the hate. And then the people who just fan it, you know, instead of, um, you know, hey, no, yeah, everybody's different. You're going to have differences and that's okay. You know, it's okay to believe what you believe because you're going to believe what you believe, but to, divide people to hate is what I don't like. It's just so much hate nowadays uh, that you, maybe it was there or I didn't see it, but now it's just kind of unmatched now. Like everybody's just, uh, like you said earlier, desensitized, like you don't care. You know, you walk past somebody getting attacked and you don't do anything. Don't even call the police. You just watch it and everybody videotapes it now. I think that's so sickening. Yeah. You know, you, you videotape somebody getting attacked and they think that's funny. I don't I don't find that funny at all. So uh there's things like that. And when I'm on social media, if any friend of mine, they know if you post any video of anybody getting attacked, anyone fighting, I will unfriend you and block you very fast because I, I don't want to see that. Yeah. To me, that shows you that you're that you're heartless. Uh, you know, you, you don't care about people and uh I'm a people person, so you know, I like people and I like people from different uh walks of life because uh, I like different languages, you know, I can't speak one fluently, but I know a few words just to, you know, I like to hear people and uh, ask them, you know, without being rude, hey, where are you from? Because some, you know, you ask people that sometimes you get offended. I'm like, no, I just heard you speaking and I'm just a fan of language. So I just, you know, want to know if I hear it again, I can say the right thing. And, you know, you learn, you tend to learn uh, what offends another culture and what doesn't when you do that, when you engage other people and learn about their culture. I think they're uh, more inviting when you can speak maybe a word or two or you know something about their culture they tend to open up a little more and feel like you, you did some due diligence or so your willingness let to me listen. share a little more or your willingness, yeah, willingness to learn listen. yeah yeah yep. um and, yeah. and I, agree I think i don't i don't know where mm-hmm. i don't know where it happened on this timeline of what we call life but uh mm-hmm. somewhere along the way we just stopped allowing ourselves to disagree like and and I don't get that. Like I, Shannon and I are great examples. Like we are complete ends of the spectrum. You know, she is mm-hmm. like very pronounced to be. You know, she's a very pronounced liberal. You know, I'm more uh, maybe just right of center. You know, I'm more libertarian mm-hmm. than anything. But uh, I don't subscribe to a political party because I just feel like to try to fit into a box, uh, you know, just undermines our ability to think logically in that sense. Mm-hmm. That's just my own opinion. But I, right. I like to think that uh, I do my due diligence with thought. You know, I, I think and then I rationalize and then I try to support why I believe the way that I believe. So that way I can get into conversation or debate and, and it's okay mm-hmm. to disagree. Um, the okay. idea behind that is is respecting the other person's opportunity to have belief you know Mm -hmm. it's uh you know we've we've moved beyond taboo issues being the things that divide us to now being like 
just everyday conversation of disagreements, you know, like, and, and right. I could get disagreements on a functional level of, you know, of religion and certain political aspects and social issues. I get disagreements that can boil over to emotion in that. But when we are like having like emotional breakdowns about like what a food company decides to endorse or not, you know, like, uh, and look, I get it. Like, you know, we are in a society where everything comes back to, uh, you know, a victim or an emotional discharge. And that mm-hmm. is part of the. Or money. Or money, you know, but that's. Uh, and, and and this is, you know, th- there's a softness to society now that that everyone oh, is given God. this permission <laughs> to cry and, and to and that's not to undermine or to say, like, you know, that there aren't true victims, but. You know, everything is not a woe is me situation. And uh, we've done a horrible job of facilitating that. Well, I think, too, we live in a social media world. So everyone feels like because you're behind a keyboard and you're not face to face, it's okay to say whatever. Right. And so you get more and more extreme because you don't have you're not. It's really hard to look someone in the face and just be mean and hateful. When, when we're when you're looking at someone in their eyes and you're looking face to face, it takes a certain kind of person to be really, really mean and say those things in person to another person that you would say on social media. And I think, too, it's really important to have people around you who are like you, who look like you, who think like you to have a good support network, but it's also as important to have people in your life who do not agree with you because it is never a good situation to be stagnant. Like we've talked about in this podcast, it is so important education. And if you only are around people who think like you, you're not learning. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with every single thing someone else says, but it's it's okay to say, you know what? I thought something at one point, but now I've learned better and I've learned more and my thought process has evolved. And if you're never put up against an idea that you don't agree with, you're never going to have you're never going to have that experience. Yeah, I think if you have a a group of people that all think the same, I think it's a recipe for like th- that that's a recipe for radicalized permanence. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah, one like, sided. You know, it, it's it's our way is the way that we all know is and we believe it so much. There's seven of us, we all believe the same thing. We need to go do something. And then we evangelize our disproportioned beliefs because we believe, like, right. hey, if there's seven of us that believe it, well, there's probably 20 of us that believe it. And then there's probably it must be right. true. And, and that's how it's gospel. And exactly. <laughs> and, and and that's it's how we gospel. take something that could be an innocent thought. And create it, uh, and then it becomes destructive because it becomes backed by um, unfortunate ill intent. You know, yeah, and, just and, you know, just like well, then just like you said, you know, you need that, you need that friend, or you need that other person, or other people to say, no, no, that's not how it works. Uh, yeah. You know, you're wrong. You know, we're still friends. You're gonna be mad. I'm gonna talk to you tomorrow, but I'm that friend gonna tell you you're wrong. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think nowadays people don't have that because they don't like to be told that they're wrong. You know, everybody, like you said, has become soft now and have these feelings on their sleeve. And oh my God, he told me I was wrong, and, and now you're upset and you're mad. And 
like Shannon said, get behind this uh, keyboard and become an email gangster. And now you're so bad. But when you see him in public, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean it like that. No, no, that's what you put in the email. Yeah. So that's basically what you meant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we've actually been front row seat to uh, some people that have experienced uh, social media cancel culture. You know, we we have mm-hmm. uh, we interviewed somebody two years ago, was it? Uh, before that interview went out, they got uh, accused of racial slander, and we had just talked to this person, you know, and and it, it was uh, it, it came out a year later that somebody actually hacked his account and things like that, which that is mm-hmm. like the go to, right? You know, you see a white guy that's you know owns a business, he's like, oh, somebody hacked my account, right? It's it's the go to. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually what happened. Somebody tried to hack right. his account to try to damage his business. But we got we got a front row seat to that, and it was scary, man. Like it was just like unbelievably scary to see how many people who had known him for years just jump off that bandwagon so quick because of an accusation that was flimsy at best. And right, you have not to even think- take, do any due diligence to even find out what really happened. Just quick to judgment, you know. Yeah, and, and then the court of social opinion is 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 permanent. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. You don't know and you you don't know where to stand. Do you stand behind this person? Do you wait? And I think that that's unfortunate in in today's society because instead of that going out to a group of people or to a limited amount of people, it's it's everywhere. And mm-hmm. there is a lot of opinion. And again, it goes back to being behind this keyboard. And if you would have looked that person in the face and had a conversation with them, you might have learned that they weren't, that that wasn't the type of person that they were. But because again, like Mike said, cancel culture, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing in and of itself, I think people should be held accountable for things they actually do and say, but right. we have to give people a certain amount of grace to be able to defend themselves and to be able right. to decide for ourselves: is this true or is it not true? And I think when you're sitting behind a keyboard and you're missing that personal connection, it's really hard to determine that. Yeah. And I think it's also yeah. looking at the source too. Like um, mm-hmm. I remember one of the first things that really bothered me was when um, they took Kevin Hart's hosting the Academy Award away from him for mm-hmm. a slanderous joke that he posted on Twitter. He's a comedian. Like, That's what you they know, do. Like, they push the envelope. That's like, what they do. Exactly, they push the like, envelope. <laughs> I, I absolutely love, and I will stand by my guard, I absolutely love Dave Chappelle. The man is a genius, and, 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 yeah. and what comes out of his mouth, and now... I know that he's under a lot of attack for, you know, his mm-hmm. position on, you know, transgendered rights and things like that. A, he's allowed to have an opinion. B, he's portraying his opinion from his craft, which is comedy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I think that that's, that's one of those issues. And I think that these are the issues that I have with the cancel culture behind, you know, it's, it's like, look at the source, you know, if, if somebody is constantly, you know, and, and now I understand the sensitivity and, and, and the growth of it, um, you know, but to say, you know, this person whose job 
is predominantly built around making people laugh, making people think and questioning logic to just take a stance. You know, I, I think that that's the issue um, with with things like that. And, that, and th that's my biggest issue with it is uh, if, if a politician came out and said the things that he was saying, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I get it. Or, or right. like a, a leader from a different, you know, part of society. Yes. But the person who is meant to sit in thought in ways that challenges conversation, you can't be surprised when they take a stance on something and then deliver it in that same vein, you know, cause you can laugh when they talk about things you agree with and you got to be able to at least give them the platform to, you know, you don't have to laugh at it. But you can certainly try to listen and see the perspective, I guess, if that makes sense. And, and can you imagine um, they would have counseled Richard Pryor, Rodney Dangerfield, all of these George old Carlin, comedians. They wouldn't, oh, my God. <laughs> Andy Griffith, they would have counseled them all. And if I'm you a listen big Chris to Rock fan, just, too. And I'm like, he he walks the line. I'm like, man, you're next because watch out. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they, a lot of these guys, they, they would have been done a long time ago. Uh, yeah. And I'm surprised uh, Bill Maher hasn't uh, caught the wrath of council culture yet, uh, because yeah. he can push the he can push the envelope, you know, which is fine with me, you know. I, like everybody's so so sensitive, you know. But yeah, uh, I'm a uh, just to go back to politics. I'm a big proponent of term limits. Yeah. And to me, senators and congressmen, Supreme Court justice, any elected official needs a term limit. Because can you imagine if a president say, okay, I'm going to change it so I can sit in here forever. Everybody would lose their mind. No, Every, we will not stay and a number of them have tried. in two yeah, terms. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I use um, Strom Thurmond just as my, uh, my argument. I say, let's, Strom Thurmond was a senator from the 50s. And it was 2000. He was still a senator. Let's take away everything that we've heard. Oh, he's a segregation. Oh, he just we don't know none of that. There is no way you can tell me that a senator from the 50s and he's still a senator in 2000 has the ideology for progressive society. You just could not make me believe that. I don't care what nobody says. I took away all of the stuff, you know, that so-called all oh, these racist so-called. Let's take away all that. We don't know any of that. There's no way you can make me believe he had the ideology. At two, in year 2000 for progressive society. And, and it's things like that. They sit there too long because they know that's where all the money is. You know, they get the best health benefits. And when we they shut down the government or do these things, they're not affected. Uh, and every time it comes up for term limits, they shoot it down. And to me, that, that's that's a, that's the problem. Well, in American politics. If you look at the, you know, government structure, um, the president, in a lot of ways, is a talking head. The real power is in Congress and Senate, anyway. Oh yeah, that's exactly oh, yeah. what I was going to say. And, and, and when you have, oh, yeah. you know, when you have people up in arms about, oh, the next president is, uh, like, not much changes. Mm -mm. You know, it, it really comes down to who control. Like when you have a house party, uh, you know, when you have the the, the Democrat, you know, and, and I also think that a two party system is our, our destructive nature to ourselves. When you're choosing left or right, it's a flip of a coin. But it, you know, I think we know, need a strong third party. Like when H when H Ross Perot ran, he made that third party actually almost take it. We need an actual strong yeah, third yeah. party. And I mean, I think keep you know, them all honest. You have you have like the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, and, and the, the problem is they just there's not enough steam behind them. I think yeah, uh, not strong we enough. <laughs> we we have in North Carolina we have a couple of seats that are independent, uh, but on a mm -hmm. on a national level, you know, you you have to you know oftentimes it comes down to uh, pick your poison. 
I vote for the best candidate that aligns with my ideology. Um, but that also doesn't always, you know, play in favor, you know, uh, you, it know doesn't. You, have, <laughs> you have tilted parties and now we have, you know, you have the Senate that is majority controlled by one party, the house that's majority controlled by one party. So everything gets gridlocked. And so what that happens yep. is we have no movement forward. And then you have, exactly. you know, then, then you have executive power, um, which still has its own limitations. So there, there's, you know, there, there's not uh, as much growth and progress, I think, in, in our society as people want to believe from a political standpoint, but that's a whole nother rabbit hole we can go down. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, that's a whole nother conversation. That's absolutely right. That's right. We could talk about this all day. Yeah, um, yeah. Until we all yeah, blue in think- the face. Yeah. But I think it's important to have these conversations with people who, like Mike said, me, myself, all blue all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to have conversations with people who don't vote that way. Um, Because at the very base of politics is people. And I don't think we take it serious enough the power that we have when we go out and vote. And I think it's so important. And I think that's why voter suppression is such a, such a huge deal. Most mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you know, why do you have to have your ID? Blah, blah, blah. And of course we could get into this and it could be all day, but voter suppression is one of the most evil things yes. because everybody should have the right to go out and have their voice heard. No matter what their, what their preference is, they, that's their right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No matter whether you're blue, red, green, yellow, everybody yeah. has the right to go out and right. vote. And yeah. you need to take that serious. It's your civic duty. And mm-hmm. if you if you want to be involved in the political process, you need to go out. If you want to be involved in the process of change, you need to go out and vote. Mm-hmm. And if you don't vote, don't talk about politics. I don't want to hear it because you didn't <laughs> you didn't exercise your right. So don't. I don't want to hear it. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. um, And like I said, I think that that is that's certainly a rabbit hole we can go down. But uh, yeah. So where can um, where can people find you online where uh, people want to find out more about you? Where can they buy watches from you, learn about your uh, your community advocacy, anything like that? Uh, You can they can reach me at kjosephwatches.com and then you can click on about and it'll tell some more about the uh, mentoring that we do. going to schools and I go out and speak and um, do uh, backpack drives for schools that, hey, we want to get kids backpacks who don't uh, have any backpacks. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, I've done a fish fry with a foundation that just he picked the church. He pulled up in the church and he cooked all of this food just for the community and didn't charge anyone a dime. So if you just happen to be in that community or you could come from wherever you could have gotten something to eat uh, that day. So say a few foundations I deal with, but it's all on that website. And um, that's how you can, can reach me. And and of course on social media, social media, Instagram and Facebook, uh, uh, K Joseph watches. I don't have a social media manager. So it's actually me responding to the messages. If someone sends me a message, uh, I don't want anybody to speak to me and tell them the wrong thing. And, you know, before you know it, I got somebody screaming out, Oh, you said this. Oh, I didn't say that. I know it came from my, my DM, but I just, that's not me, but I'll I'll get to the bottom of it. There you go. And we'll put all the links in the uh, Mm -hmm. description here. Um, Again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We love supporting people that are making real impact. Uh, you know, and it, you know, obviously, you know, this podcast is about finding that definition of being a warrior, but more importantly, it really is about 
how we can do a better job of impacting our communities because it does start there. Uh, yeah. You know, we we are all too often pulled into these uh, situations where we help, you know, everybody and, and then we, we run thin and, and we, we overwork ourselves, our mind, mm-hmm. our emotions. Uh, and I find that when you start local, start outside your front door and really expand beyond that, which is where we all should start, you know, mm-hmm. as business owners, you know, it's real easy to want to have an international growing business, but uh, to, to get there, you have to start you know, one step yeah. at a time. It's all a process. And so thank you for uh, being an advocate for your community and for all the amazing work that you're doing. Uh, we love to send me that. a mailing address uh, for Mike and Shannon. I'll send you a watch. Uh, each one of you just, just send me a mailing address oh, and, yeah, uh, we appreciate that. and we I'll make sure it gets out to, you know, send tracking and everything for you. Awesome. Oh, thank you. That's sure. awesome. So we'll put you up on our, uh, you know, we'll put all your information out there. We'll get you on okay. our on our list of, of people that we uh, want to keep in touch with. And, uh, okay. you know, we will certainly check in on you, make sure that, you know, you're out there, you know, able to still do your stuff. And we'll, we'll keep everyone updated. And uh, again, we appreciate you uh, coming on today. Hey, Warriors, it's Michael, and I want to thank you for listening to the Warrior of Impact podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to us on your favorite streaming platforms and leave us a five-star review. For more information, check out warrioropact.com.